welcome to week 28 of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. Jai. <coughs> Those who are left standing are very devout, dedicated servants of Bhagavad Gita. I'm still having fun. I don't know about you all. Face of Bhagavad Gita. We finished with six chapters. And if you remember last week, we all did you hear last week? Yes. Alina. Okay. Titania Lila. Yeah. We're all doing the same. Yeah. Yeah. We're, so we're still with myself. Too. We're still yeah. working through it. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting the conversation about. Krishna was saying, one who does good is never overcome by evil. So when you bring a light, it always extracts the darkness. And the more light that's there, the more darkness goes away. And so to answer Arjuna's question, Krishna is saying, well, those who are short-lived in their yoga practice, they go to heavenly planets, then they come back and they take birth in a family of aristocracy or righteous family, which is not as good as those who do yoga practice for a long time. Those who do yoga practice for a long time and then they fall, they'll take birth in the family of righteous brahmanas or Vaishnava. So you can see the extreme value. A long practice of yoga is not easy. Yoga, yoga is not easy. Lord Chaitanya's yoga, that's pretty easy. <laughs> Generally, yoga is not very easy. So, that was very wonderful. And then Krishna ends by saying the highest yoga is Krishna consciousness. And then Srila Prabhupada, the first purport to the seventh, seventh chapter, he really nicely kind of summarizes and then lays the stage for what we're going to be experiencing. So I'd like to just briefly, briefly read that again. In the seventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita, the nature of Krishna consciousness is fully described. Krishna is full in all opulences, and how he manifests such opulence is described herein. Also, four kinds of fortunate people who become attached to Krishna and four kinds of unfortunate people who never take to Krishna are described in this chapter. In the first six chapters of Bhagavad Gita, which we just went through, the living entity has been described as non-material spirit soul, capable of elevating himself to self-realization by different types of yogas. At the end of the sixth chapter, it has been clearly stated that the steady concentration of the mind upon Krishna, or in other words, Krishna consciousness, is the highest form of all yoga. By concentrating one's mind upon Krishna, one is able to know the absolute truth completely, but not otherwise. Impersonal Brahma Jyoti or localized Paramatma realization is not perfect knowledge of the absolute truth because it is partial. Full and scientific knowledge is Krishna, and everything is revealed to the person in Krishna consciousness. In complete Krishna consciousness, one knows that Krishna is ultimate knowledge beyond any doubts. 
Different types of yoga are only stepping stones on the path of Krishna consciousness. One who takes directly to Krishna consciousness automatically knows about Brahma Jyoti and Paramatma in full. By practice of Krishna conscious yoga, one can know everything in full, namely the absolute truth, the living entities, the material nature, and their manifestations with paraphernalia. One should therefore begin yoga practice as described in the last verse of the sixth chapter. Concentration of the mind upon Krishna the Supreme is made possible by its prescribed devotional service in nine different forms, of which Shravanam is the first and most important, just hearing. The Lord therefore says to Arjuna, Tach Trinu, or hear from me. No one could be a greater authority than Krishna, and therefore by hearing from him one receives the greatest opportunity to become a perf- perfectly Krishna-conscious person. One is therefore to learn from Krishna directly or from a pure devotee of Krishna, and not from a devote, non-devotee upstart, puffed up with ap- academic education. <clears throat> so then Srila Prabhupada mentions these beautiful verses from Srimad Bhagavatam. They describe the whole process of Krishna consciousness, uh, starting with hearing, and how this knot of material affection can become removed. And so, yeah, like Prabhupada is saying, this is laying the stage for getting into more details about the opulence of the Absolute. This is knowledge of the Absolute, that we're going to go into attaining the Supreme, and then opulence of the Absolute, and then the universal form, and then devotional service. So, this is now the heart of Bhagavad Gita, and it's solidified by the first six chapters, and then it's singed by the last six chapters. It's finalized. So, this is exciting. And who would like to share first? Okay. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> really? <laughs> brave or great? Brave. Yikes. Great and brave. So, I chose a little part from text two that I thought it was amazing. And it goes, when the cause of all causes becomes known, then everything knowable becomes known, and nothing remains unknown. I mean, that sentence right there, we can have a whole class on it. Like, really? Yeah. That's crazy. So this is what I wrote. Let me pull it up. So, in understanding, I wrote, when you become a devotee of Krishna by simply focusing on serving him and becoming Krishna conscious, everything else falls into place like a puzzle piece, and everything that is essential to know is all of a sudden known. Um, And I put as an application, keep growing in my Krishna consciousness and remembering who I am, and most importantly, who he is. That's... And summarize, that's what I Very nice. You see like a tree, and each different branch has different variety of knowledge to be known. 
And so you're asking one particular leaf or branch, hey, can you tell me about your branch? <clears throat> and they say, oh, yeah, you know, like this, like this. But if you get to the root, it, it, it has the whole tree. It knows everything. And that little branch or that little leaf or stem, it only has a little knowledge of that little particular branch on that gigantic tree. And Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, this tree is basically limitless. So we're frustrated because our nature is to have knowledge, to know. And we're only getting like little bits, little drops, tiny bits of knowledge, hardly anything. But when you have Krishna, you have everything. He's the reservoir of knowledge. So when you tap into that reservoir, you can know all the branches, the whole tree. And you're like, okay, oh, too much. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, for, and then for a devotee, yeah, actually, Arjuna is kind of does this in the 11th, 11th chapter. We're getting there. Arjuna has that response. So, yeah, Arjuna, when he saw Krishna's universe, he said, All right, Krishna, that's very wonderful, but I'd rather just see you. <laughs> but then when you have Krishna, you have. So. Okay, very nice. Would you like to follow? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I just uh, chose a line in the purport uh, 7 5 purport. It just says the false ego, under the influence of material illusion, thinks, I am matter. And material acquisitions are mine. You didn't choose that, did you? No, okay. no I did not. No, but that's a nice one. I thought about that one. Actually. <laughs> yeah. I looked at you that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this line just really stood out to me, you know. I just like the way Prabhupada words things. Because this is something that we hear about all the time. Right? We're so, you know, we've been, uh, we've been bamboozled by Maya for so long that we've become conditioned and we've reduced ourselves to nothing but matter. But Krishna is wanting to remind us that we're so much more than just matter. So for me, it's just really the way that Prabhupada words certain things that really stand out to me. And then I, I just have these realizations, something that I might have heard over and over again. And I was thinking about the movie The Matrix and everyone's talking about unplugging from The Matrix, right? And even in, in society and Facebook, you know, everyone talks about the matrix. Um, and their idea of the matrix is like, you know, unplugging from, I don't know. The system. Just like, like the system, they'll say, like, you know. And in, in a sense, it's kind of true, but it's not really speaking of the true matrix, which in my opinion is Maya. Like Maya, this illusory energy, this, this mess that we're in. I like the following verse because it explains how to get out of it. Right? And then the verse or the lines before that talk a little bit about, you know, well, I'll read it. This Prabhupada does such a sweet job. While exploiting the gross and subtle inferior energy, we talked about how we are Krishna, we are part of Krishna's superior energy. But when we get in, when we be, uh, I guess, when we become contaminated with, with, 
Krishna's inferior energy, which is this material energy, then we have the tendency to fall under illusion. And then we enter, we become conditioned. We've been in this state for so long that we become conditioned to believe that we're nothing more than just matter. Um, so he says, when exploiting the gross and subtle inferior energy matter, the superior energy, the living entity, forgets his real spiritual mind and intelligence. This forgetfulness is due to the influence of matter upon the living entity. The influence of matter. <laughs> I like the word material because the root word is matter. So trying to, you know, attain all these material acquisitions, as Prabhupada puts it. Well, what's the root word in material? It's matter. And what is the root cause of the problem? It's our association with matter. So I just, it's just, it's so simple, yet it's so complicated, you know. Um, as we always say, simple for the simple. So this forgetfulness is due to the influence of matter upon the living entity, but when the living entity becomes free from the influence of the illusory material energy, he attains liberation or mukti. His actual position is realized when he is liberated from all material ideas, including the conception of his becoming one and all with respects with God. Therefore, one may conclude that the Gita confirms a living entity to be only one of the multi-energies of Krishna. It talks about how, you know, the false ego falls under the influence of the material energy, but yet the false ego is part of the eight, it constitutes a part of the eight material energies, right? So yeah. it's all working together. Like I was telling her, we're more like, uh, you know, we're more aware of like the gross energies because we see those we can feel them they're very dense but it's like Prabhupada was explaining in a in one of the purports how like you know the really educated philosophers they forget about the gross I mean the subtle the subtle senses right um, they don't think about the mind the intelligence the false ego and I've had this experience where I see that you can gratify those things more than you do the body and those things aren't so obvious. But like, you know, the, the philosophers, the intellectuals, they sit around and they have conversations. You sounded like a philosopher when you said Yeah. The philosophers. The philosophers. <laughs> they sit around and philosophize and fun. sound really eloquent and <laughs> smart. Look at me, you know. And I think that in itself, that is a form of sense gratification. And it's much more subtle. And you see that. I mean, you see that. I've been around circles where I've been around people who are just gratifying their subtle senses. And that's all that's happening. There's really nothing concrete or, so, or solid there. So anyway, that's kind of what I chose. And uh, Prabhupada gives such a sweet understanding. Um, my application is to never fall under this illusion ever again. To always remember Krishna. To always remember who I am. And as long as I stay in this mood of surrender and perform devotional service with love, not only to Krishna, to the devotees, to everyone, do everything with love, then I'll never forget. I'll never forget who I am. I'll never forget Krishna. And I, I need his help too, you know, so we're constantly praying and asking for him to help us. But I think that's, that's the only thing I can do. Um, Maya's tricky. You know, you know, it's not like we have 
conquered Maya. At any minute, at any moment, we can fall under Maya's illusion, but as long as we stay humble and surrendered and stay focused, you know, like the ultimate goal of life is to be Krishna conscious, and we've been given such an amazing opportunity by Prabhupada. So as long as we just stay focused on that, I think we'll be fine. With Krishna's mercy, of course. Does that make sense? Any questions? <laughs> Sorry, it's like a class. <laughs> no, that was great, thank you. That was very insightful. <laughs> One thing you said um, about the philosophers. Yeah. One thing you'll notice is that they, they don't focus on glorifying God. Yeah. When, you, when they start focusing on their own knowledge, yeah. it's like they say, people don't care how much you know, they, they care, want to know how much you care. Right. Right. <clears throat> so <clears throat> you'll notice the real spiritualist, they focus on serving and glorifying, glorifying Guru and Krishna and serving Guru and Krishna. And one way we can stay from falling into that trap, as you said, because subtle gratification, not only is it gratification, it's much more gratification than gross sense gratification. Mm. Like, well, first of all, everything, the senses, everything filters through the mind. Mm -hmm. So the mind's, the subtle mind's actually the one determining if it likes it or not. And the mind can change its mind, (laughs) so to speak. I mean, that's what it does. It accepts and rejects. So you'll notice when you're a kid, you'll like something, and when you get older, you don't like it. And you didn't like something as a kid, and you like it when you're older. And that, that's shifting your whole life. So the subtle mind is determining, and the mind likes sense gratification, the subtle gratification even more than the gross gratification. Like it likes honor more than it likes a good meal, for instance. I mean, Krishna even says in Bhagavad Gita, one who has been honored or dishonored is worse, worse than death. So the way to really overcome or in the long haul these tendencies to slip into maya is to really focus on the, the mission of the guru and to really get out there and do the yuga dharma. Like, devotees don't talk. They don't just talk, they do. So devotees live a life backed up by action. So devotees glorify the Lord and serve the Lord simultaneously. So that's why we talk about Krishna and then we go out on Harinam. So I hope you all are coming on Harinam tonight. We're not, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. <laughs> But, um, yeah, that's, so it becomes, for a devotee, it becomes, pretty quick we can determine, you know, who's genuine, who's, yeah. who's, you know, because even though someone speaks very nice, is very learned, over time, or even very quickly, actually, for a devotee, you get the flavor, mm. what's coming, is it, it's all about ego. <laughs> Interesting thing, one time in Austin, Texas, I took a class called The Philosophy of God. Because I I had to take, the the title was just like so intriguing. It was part of the the philosophy department, and the massive uh, amount of classes they had in the philosophy department. And this is one of them. 
you know, and I thought, oh, I'm going to take that. That's cool. But you're right. I went in there, and it was just this total, and I remember a Muslim student that said, probably about the second or third week of the course, and he said, you know, I hear a lot of, you know, just scientific sort of, you know, what is God, you know, trying to analyze this, and but there's no surrendering to this God, no glorifying of this God. <laughs> so where is that in all this, you know? And the teacher says, well, he says, uh, you know, he says, what we try to do in this class, we're trying to analyze the essence of what our society means as God, define that term as how we mean it. In many different ways, it's defined. And so, and that would kind of get in that a little bit. But at the time, I really, it didn't really key on me what that student was saying, but now it does. How can, in the world, can you understand the divine, or whatever you want to put to it, if you don't surrender, serve, and glorify the divine? I don't understand how you can even understand, even begin to understand, you know, that. So, you know, back then I just kind of, I didn't blow it off, but I thought it was an interesting comment. And I didn't really know how to take it back then, how to take that comment. And I thought, well, okay, you know, yeah, that's a factor. I mean, there's no doubt that's a factor there. But it's interesting that you brought that up because I remember that, that memory was very, came up very vividly. But I remember how that was. But it was. The whole course was just this. It wasn't even, I mean, it was just an atheistic view of defining God, basically is what it was. You know, it was trying to, it was trying to pin God down on some scientific understanding. I mean, there's an aspect of that. You know, science is beginning to catch up to, you know, Vedic doctrines and old old philosophies that, that have been ancient philosophies have been around for a long time speaking truth they're starting to catch up to that truth but they always come at it from this weird sort of you know very impersonal but very not even on a level well God is just this energy and I don't really want to know anything else you know type of thing it's more it's even less than that you know but it's very fascinating yeah. you know to me how that how it works but it's like throughout this whole thing the knowledge of God, you can't know the knowledge of God until you really start to hear about his pastimes, hear about yeah. about all these things. You can't, there's no way you can grasp that understanding on that type of level. You know, you just keep, you know, keep it at like a safe distance or something, I guess, you know, <laughs> in their minds. You know, they really don't know anything else. That's, yeah, it's a good point because, yeah. <laughs> like, Krishna says... I can't remember if, I think it's in Bhagavad Gita, <clears throat> that you can worship him by your intelligence. So you can, you can see something in great detail and you can see Krishna behind it. Or you can use your intelligence in the service of the Lord, and therefore worship the Lord by your intelligence. But when it's, because there's a difference between that and what the sciences are, what scientists are doing, because they're using their intelligence trying to forget God or and manipulate the, God's energy. So there's no respect there. So that's not Brahman realization. Brahman realization is a, is, a, is a first level of God realization. Brahman realization means that you see everything as energy of God. And therefore it's sacred. 
kind of like someone the other someone was bringing up the Native Americans. They kind of had this. They had this kind of mood. I'm not saying they were fully Brahmin realized because they weren't because they didn't. They still ate meat and they, but they did have this more of this mood of sanctity of God's energies. Yeah. Yeah. So until one comes to that initial level of respect for God's energies and veneration, he hasn't even reached the first platform of God realization. <laughs> What's to speak of knowing Krishna, which Krishna says at the end of Bhagavad Gita, I can only be known through devotional service. That's, That's the only way. <laughs> They're just poking around into, like Prabhupada was explaining, and you were talking about into the matter. They're right. Just, they're just basically dealing with mostly just the five gross elements. And they're just, even those are just poking at it. <laughs> I mean, it's so vast. They can't even understand that very well. And what's mind-boggling for, for, the, for the mundaners is that they can't accept the fact that the way, I know that's such a funny word, but it's so hard for people to accept something so simple as just render pure loving devotional service to me and I and I will feel myself you can know me in full free from that as, as uh, Gurudev always quotes but it just seems so simple that it's not taken serious oh you mean just render service to this God how do I do that or it seems you know hard. no it, it just seems too simple they want something complex it's like this material world is wired to think there's got to be more to it than just that. How can God reveal himself to me just by offering him a cup of water or a leaf or a flower? There's got to be more to it. And they, they, can't, they can't take that seriously because they don't understand the mood in which it's being done. It's this mood of humility, right? It's this mood of surrender. That's why it's hard. That's why That's it's hard. hard. <laughs> because we don't want to surrender. <laughs> and Prabhupada is describing it. It's the hardest. Right. was the hardest. Right. Yeah. It's very difficult. Why is that? Because we're so attached to the false ego. The false ego. And like right. because we're so attached, it's the hardest. Because to do an emotional service, you got to give it up. Yeah, <laughs> you it's, have to it's, kind of, and, it's kind of ironic because you know, at the time, I mean, there was, there was, you know, people that I knew, you know, and myself a little bit, but not really. I never was quite like that. But I did think that bhakti was somewhat almost some of them seem almost childish yeah exactly you know like kindergarten, and like, like kindergarten type of like thing like oh it's just like playing with your imaginary friend sort of thing you know you know yeah, right it's just, it's just uh, yeah exactly so you know and then as we childlike but not childish yeah and so as they they think is as you grow up you grow out of that Right, right. That fantasy thinking. You we know. gotta get into the, you know. Yeah, so it's, you know, it, it gets, and what they really don't understand is how intricate that really is. Exactly. You know. But so. how can you know that unless you're actually in it? Experiencing it. Right. Yeah, you can't. How do you explain that to someone? That's why, like, for us, if, like, I'm on campus, like, there's a, do you find yourself kind of feeling, well, not li not feeling limited, but only so much you can say so that students can actually, so that you can find common ground with certain people. Like, I can't talk, there's certain things that I can't touch on because I feel like that I can't say that, even though I really want to say that. But it's like, I can't really share that, so I have to share something that kind of is 
is giving that it's it's coming across but in a in a more kind of understandable way right so i i feel this way a lot of times and you're absolutely right so what do we do (laughs) how do we remedy that i mean (laughs) like papa said in like a needle and out like a plow you got to go in very just like a expert surgeon you got to enter very, very discreetly. And like a needle, out like a plow. So you go in with something that they can, something that they can identify with. They, they, they can, you can catch their attention. Not that you water it down. Right, right. You just, you try to relate, you try to relate to them. Like Guru Dave says, preaching means connecting. Like we have to connect with somebody and build a relationship. Yeah. So in order to do that, we have to somehow, like, Say something that's going to make them feel welcome. Yeah. You have to welcome them. Say something maybe encouraging. Like sometimes we even just say, "Hey, nice shirt." Right? And we say, people people are like want to eat up nice things. Like they don't get a lot of nice niceties. Right. Like, <laughs> like they don't get nice people. Or yeah, genuine people. Right? Yeah, just be be love. Like just us being loving right. is actually. The best way to get in. Yeah. Um, people are more, like people are kind of, almost when they hear the word God these days, they're like, like they don't want anything to do with it. That's actually that happened uh, <clears throat> at the party I was talking to yesterday. Um, she admit, like I, I, you know, I, I was talking to her initially, and I was like, you know, pick a book, anything that you're drawn to. And then she picked up the book of Lord Chaitanya, the teachings of Lord Chaitanya. She's like, what's this about? And she's like, looking through it, reading a little bit. And then um, I started explaining a little bit about Lord Chaitanya. And then um, Arjun jumped in the conversation. He was like, oh, yeah, that, you know, he starts explaining about Lord Chaitanya. Yeah, he's an incarnation of God. He came in this, you know, this age. And, like, he just was, like, real direct. And she was like, no, I don't want that book. She just immediately, her reaction was like, no. You know, that's, yeah. your God? No, and she dropped the book, and she was just like, I'll just take this and walk away. Uh, she took a different book? No, she took a mantra meditation. Oh, okay, book, okay. And then she just left. Uh, yeah. But it was just like her immediate reaction to that word. Because yeah. there's so many negative connotations <clears throat> attached to the word God and their experiences and religions. You know? Well, that's another good thing is if we can learn how to yeah. um, listen like try to you're good at that yeah. we're not maybe you and I aren't as good at that <laughs> no 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 but we, we we should try to listen a little bit and um, it's not that we absolutely can't say God but some you kind of get a feel you, really you know you get a feel for what you can say yeah. like over time over time you kind of you kind of Get their mood a little bit. What they're open, yeah, see what they're open to. Yeah. And it kind of all varies. Like over time, there's not like any stark formula. It just depends. It's the reason I get a lot of I get a lot of positive reactions just by using the terms meditation and yoga and things like that. I mean, everybody's really into that, you know. I mean, and and, and that that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So it's easy to introduce. It's really an easy way to introduce people to. Well, you ever tried mantra meditation before? You know, this is what we do, you know. 
oh, this is a really good form meditation, you know. And I, I try to ask them, well, what kind of meditation do you do? What type of yoga do you do? You know, things like that. And we get a whole conversation because I've tried so many different forms of meditation in my lifetime. I can relate on some basis. Probably not going to not have one that I haven't tried at some point in time because <laughs> I've done a lot of meditation. So, so the thing is, is that they, I can relate to that. So we can talk about that. And then eventually I can say, well, have you ever tried mantra meditation? Have you tried that before? And they say, well, what exactly is that? So already I've established a relationship on the basis of some kind of common ground. And then there it's easy you know to just introduce them and then if you know the term god never comes into play there once they do the ma mantra well <laughs> it's already saying it yeah i haven't had a problem with using the word god yeah. in the campus yeah people have been really receptive when i use the word god yeah. contextually when i'm using it i don't i try to use it in a way where i am not in any way speaking of or giving the impression or the feeling of some kind of religious institution so i try to separate the word god from all that and i and i try to elaborate and that has helped me and a lot of people kind of because most people can they can agree with you that there is god there's a god yeah but it's just it's the way that you use the word god i guess like, right and there so so i just it's, you're right. When I connect with people and I hear them, I have the most successful like preaching. When I just hear them and then I respond, and it's not like forceful. It's just like I love. I, I truly care for this person and I want to connect. It it just happens and it's so special. And sometimes, because I think we we place these expectations on ourselves, like really, really high expectations. And we think, oh my God, we got to give them the philosophy, the entirety of the philosophy right then and there. Boom. Right. (laughs) But we put this pressure on ourselves. Like we have to be so like, like we have to be so like the way that we speak, it has to be perfect. We don't just show them love. Like you said, a little act of love, show them that you care, give them a book, talk about yeah. meditation. And we, we do have it goes to give, a long way. We do have to give like a little introductory, because yeah, they're coming so to like, our table and like they want to hear, yeah. but you're right, we don't. We can give them just a, a sweet little introduction, yeah, and then kind of ask them, like, kind of like, one, one technique I use is like, wait, okay, what stands out to you? You know, do you like to read, you know, like... These are books to help elevate your consciousness, or yeah, so you know, like oh, this is meditation like for the that, modern right? age. Did you know this meditation is recommended in the ancient yoga text to help, yeah. you know, make you more happy, and mm-hmm. you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, kind of because like what they're seeing is they're seeing us doing like this cool music, and then like all these books. So like they're coming over to the book table, so I kind of just like focus on the books. Like, what do yeah. you? And Prabhupada said, he said, what's, what's the use, kind of reminded me of what you're saying, what's the use of your two minutes of preaching? You give them one book, and their whole life can be changed. Yeah, that's the beauty so. of how these books were put out, too, as Prabhupada came from so many different angles mm-hmm. with many of the books, not just trans, you know, transcribing the Vedic text, but also his own. So it really helps. Yeah, yeah let's get one. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, what I did is I picked the Bhagavad Gita, the eighth verse, uh, something from the purport. And that, that's another kind of little line that hit me outside of, in fact, both of yours I've looked at. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Anyway, but uh, those who do not, do not know Krishna are in illusion. 
And so knowledge of Krishna is liberation, and ignorance of him is bondage. Okay? So my understanding of that was one who is Krishna conscious and not trapped in the illusion of material conscious or maya consciousness is liberated. Um, in uh, the first verse, actually, you read a good portion of the application that I had here, was that uh, in, the, in the actual verse, it says, Now hear, O son of Pritha, is that how you say that? Pritha. How by practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, with mind attached to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. So in the board itself, and you, like I said, read a good portion of that already, um, was the application. Um, so, let's see. Oh, I got this right here. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so by concentrating one's mind upon Krishna, one is able to know the absolute truth completely, but not otherwise. Impersonal brahmachotis or localized paramanatma realization is not perfect knowledge of the absolute truth because it is partial. Full and scientific knowledge is Krishna and everything is revealed to the person in Krishna consciousness. In complete Krishna consciousness, one knows that Krishna is ultimate knowledge beyond any doubts. Different types of yoga are only stepping stones in the path of Krishna consciousness. One who takes directly to Krishna consciousness automatically knows about uh, Brahma Yoti and Parma Atma in full. And so, and it goes, and you pretty much read the rest of it you know, before, so I'm going to repeat that. But, you know, I mean, that's it. Just, uh, you know, I always go back to the Maha Mantra, you know. Chant. Let the chant take you. <laughs> you know? Just give in to it, you know, as best you can. And in meditation, oftentimes you can, I mean, if you're that form meditation, you can certainly do that. You just give in to that. And everything will just, just start to happen, you know. And then you'll have an interest to hear more. Then you gain an interest to do this and do that, you know, about devotional service and start to serve him. Oh, I want to know more. Oh, this is, oh, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. And that's how you apply that, you know. And so if that's the case, then you'll never, you'll never be in bondage. Why don't you just keep that going? That's liberation. Yeah, Lord Jaitanya said that that's the watering process. You're right, everything comes from watering. That seed of devotional service, dude. Um, I picked the chapter seven, text seven. Uh, O conqueror of wealth, there is no true superior to me. Everything rests upon me as pearls are strung on a thread. And the part that stuck out to me is pearls are that are strung on a thread, and it just point it kind of um, it um, it emphasizes that our dependency on Krishna and how everything that is around us and um, like he kind of he kind of speaks to our journey. He says on the fragrance of the earth and the heat and the fire, the lives of all that lives and the penances of all of aesthetics and like he, he's just saying that I am all of these things, I am the sound I am you know and um and 
so I was thinking about how we're such a we're, we're just we're, we're such a minute portion of Krishna, and um, yeah, we're superior, but we're when we're coming in contact with the inferior energies of the material world, we're, we're subject to it and we fall into illusion. And this is all part of Krishna's you know, design. And he's in, he's an independent. He's he's aloof from it all. He's kind of he's um, he's seeing us. He's watching us. And um, I just um, there's this uh, and he's eager. He's eager. He's eager for us to to uh, to come back. You know, to look his way. And there's this um, in the introduction of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. There's this um, analogy that they present in this that says, From the ground we may see only clouds in the sky, but if we fly above the clouds we can see the sun shining from the sky. Skyscrapers and cities seem very tiny. Similarly, from God's position, this entire material creation is in insignificant. And so, when our, the way that we perceive things is limited, you know, from, you know, this, this, this point. Um, we're only able to see just the surface of things, but um, through Krishna's perspective, he's seeing, he's seeing, he's seeing the entire, you know, cosmic manifestation in full, and he's seeing it, and he and he's in a position, a vantage point where he can see everything from above, and he's looking down on it. But yet we're like we're in it, so we're just we can't really see. So um, um, we were speaking about. Um, we're speaking about, um, like, it's like we're in a maze, like we're speaking about this, like, we're like in a maze, and, um, we're in this maze, and we're like entrapped in this maze, entrapped in this entanglement of the material, material world, and we're trying to get out, and we're making all these directions, and there's a way to get out, and Krishna's the only one that could, you can see from you know, a higher vantage point, you can see down and you can see whether, like, um, where, um, the, 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 he can direct the living entity to, to kind of free himself from, you know, and free himself from this entrapped, um, being entrapped in this, um, this maze of the material world. And, um, and, um, Nesta was saying that, like, you know, we get to a point where we're so exhausted and um, we're so burnt out by the material energy and um, we're looking for solutions and then we look up and, like, we're so just seeing in front of us, seeing just what's around us and then, the, and then there's a point where we look up and we see Krishna, you know, and, um, and I, I was, another part I was thinking of is that um, I was thinking of like his representatives as guru or like you know the devotees. They're in there and they they have you know they've looked up you know and they've you know been being di they're being directed by Krishna in this way and so they're directing others as well in this maze to get out you know so 
I um yeah that's pretty much all that I can think of. And now now you're directing others. Now you're one of them. <laughs> now you're one of the directors. <clears throat> well you noticed um you notice something subtle in the verse you read. Krishna's calling you his pearl. <laughs> Very sweet. <laughs> so you're my pearls. Sweet, sweet. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about, I forgot what you were saying, is everything is the holy names, but we have to do it, we have to develop love. In the chanting, and Prabhupada, he actually gave that instruction, he said, chant with priti means love. Chant with priti. Krishna says, you know, in the 10th chapter, we'll read, those who are constantly devoted to serving with love. <clears throat> so in other words, this love is emphasized because if it's just mechanical, then we can't win the favor of the Lord. So it's not like we're used to in the material world, like, kind of like mechanical processes. Like if we build the perfect assembly line, and then become, in the market the right way, it'll become the next billionaire. Krishna is a lot more valuable than a billion dollars. Um, and he's not bought so easily. It requires pretty to chant with love, serve with love. So <clears throat> that's where, we, where we're purifying our chanting. There's Nama Aparad. In the beginning, we're chanting with offenses. And then we're chanting um, Nam Nama Bas is clearing stage so you're you're doing better Ashuda <laughs> Nam is pure name it means there's no offenses it's completely with love and with concentration another another reason that Krishna consciousness is so difficult is because ultimately it requires everything it requires our very selves and until we're ready to give up Maya we can't we can't be a pure devotee being a pure devotee means to give up one's everything, <laughs> includes every thought, every word, every thought, every action. And it's not only possible, it's our nature. <clears throat> we're like, when we're absorbed in Krishna's illusory energy, we're, we're like totally out of place. We're mis misfits. <clears throat> we don't belong in Maya. So... But because we're conditioned by Maya, it's very difficult. Um, but you can see how Prabhupada made it accessible to us, because he gave us, Lord Jaitanya made it accessible to us. So. <clears throat> and we must surrender. We have to surrender to it. We can't just, uh, you're right. You know, it's like this whole thing, I think, in, in time, um, as you chant, if you surrender. To doing that in the beginning, it's, it, it, that's the beginning of it because it can be—it's the foundation, you know—and um, it's something people can usually take to fairly quickly and easily, whether or not you know they're doing it. Of course, they're going to do it with offenses. There's no doubt about that. They're not going to 
know the intricate workings of that. It's like any form, to be honest with you, any form of meditation is that way, though. You know, even in, in Buddhism, they, they say, that, you know, when you start meditation, you know, you may have a one moment where you have this kind of like bliss a little bit. And then after that, it's just like your mind's just going, oh my goodness. You can't quiet your mind. Your mind just totally bombarded all the time. Well, there's no way you really can, you know, not that way. But as time goes by, you can get a little bit better at it. But it takes a long time to get that way. But again, it's consistency, you know. And with this, it's love and surrender, as you say. You have to surrender to Krishna. You have to surrender the whole process or else... Krishna says, you know, he says, when we're constantly devoted to serving him with love, then he'll help us. He carries what we lack. <clears throat> so when you ask, is it possible, um, is it possible to love? Well, our nature is to love. So not only is it possible, but it's, it's our birthright. We're, we're meant to be absorbed. And when, when it becomes so ecstatic, when it becomes so ecstatic that we don't want to do anything else or think of anything else, then, then we are, we're in Goloka Vrindavan. Like, I mean, Goloka Vrindavan isn't just a geographical location. Goloka Vrindavan is wherever, you know, it's Goloka, the Goloka mood, Goloka attitude, thought, consciousness. <laughs> wherever the devotees hearts are. I mean, Goloka can be right here. You know, <laughs> it's not like Goloka is just in the Vaikuntha world. You know? It's like that old saying in that, in that, in that movie. Um, they asked, you know, it says, well, are you going to, you know, at the end of the movie, they asked this, this guy, asked this Chinese guy and says, you know, are you going to go back to China, go back to the motherland? And he says, basically, wherever I go, she'll go with me. So it's kind of along that same kind of lines. Yeah. yeah. More transcendental, of course, but than that. But, but. Yeah, it's like Prabhupada said, I, there never was a time I never put that picture. People took his birth in this world, but he wasn't meant to. Because he wasn't conditioned. He was Krishna conscious from the beginning. So. He said we could do this. Yeah. So, you know, just because he's not like us doesn't mean that we can use that as an excuse to say, well, it's Prabhupada. Of course. Of course he's going to be perfect. Of course. Of course he can do it. He can carry it out. No, he, he, gave us, he gave us the process. Yeah. And he empowered us. Yeah. So he's given <clears throat> us the process and he's empowered us. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be bumpy. You know? There's going to be some detours. There's going to be some obstacles. But you have to be surrendered. You have to know. I mean, I think intention is everything. I think you've got to know in your heart that there's really nothing here for us. <laughs> this is just, this is a dead end. And you're convinced of that. Like, for me personally, I just tell Krishna, like, I'm a rascal. Like, and I'm trying to please you, so please help me, please. This is my prayer to Krishna. Like, I know that I'm, not everything that I'm doing might please you. But, I, but my heart's desire is to please you, so help me. Help me, please, in every way. But I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know, but I'm striving for perfection. You know, I know that along the way I might do some things, but I just, I just want him to know, like, I, I love you, and I want to show you that. 
me, that's that's my greatest hope is that Christian is helping. Like it's not like he's saying, no, nope, you gotta do it on your own. You're stuck in the mud. No, he's willing to go in there and, and pull us out. You know, um, you're right. We gotta surrender. We gotta throw our hands up. We gotta come to that realization that there's nothing else worth pursuing. Everything else is illusion. Everything else is illusion. Even family life is illusion. I mean, it's crazy to say, but it's true. Yeah, material, mundane family. Yeah. Yeah. Even the attachments that we have to family life is an illusion. Yeah. I mean, but that's hard to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. But it's true. I, I think about that, you know? That's why sometimes, you know, I've had a conversation with my wife before. I'm like, if we don't, like really get serious about serving Krishna, then this is all just kind of fake. Yeah. <coughs> like, really, the relationship, when it's based on serving Krishna, then it's, like, eternal. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. But, like, do you want to just go down in history? Like, you know, any other romantic love, like, just yes. disappears into nothingness? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, real romance is, like, you do it based on Krishna. Then it's eternal because then there's two souls coming to serve Krishna together. Or it doesn't have to be. It can be any. It doesn't have to be a marriage. But that was just an example. That's a, that's a As a yeah, renunciate, a renunciate, single person or a married person. But the point is our relationships, to be meaningful, really, they have to be based on Krishna. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to miss Hari now if I. <laughs> so Keep on delaying. <laughs> Alright, I kinda I think I have a short I was kinda sick when I wrote this, so <clears throat> So it's even more blues. <laughs> <laughs> actually it was pretty sweet. That was a very um another very beautiful realization, Chaitanya Lila. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> So my discovery was <clears throat> part of the purport the seven nine. Punya means that which is not decomposed. Punya is original. Everything in the material world has a certain fragrance. As a fragrance in a flower or in the earth, in water, in fire, in air, etc. The uncontaminated fragrance, the original fragrance which permeates everything is Krishna. Krishna smells good. All right, that's the purple. <laughs> Understanding. Everything in the material world is a shadow reflection of pure spiritual energy. Therefore, although things taste wonderful at a certain point, eventually they lose their flavor and become distasteful and detestable. A large part of our experience in the material world is trying to maintain the freshness and newness of the material energy, but such endeavors are ultimately a failure. The nature of shadow is to move and disappear. Similarly, the nature of the material energy is to shift and, and become vanquished. Yet our mind tricks us into purchasing such a poor investment. The uncontaminated, eternal, original fragrance is Krishna, the supreme, beautiful Lord. Uh, application. This is a reminder to constantly breathe in the fragrance of Krishna consciousness and in doing so, live eternally in that ever-fresh spiritual aroma. Then I won't have to struggle for freshness and a losing battle against the material energy. Maintaining 
that which can't be maintained for very long. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, sweet. There was one line there that you said I'd like for you to repeat it about. It was like, uh, what was it that you just said? The last, the last no, part I wrote? No. Something about selling ourselves short or something oh. along that line. Similarly, the nature of the material energy is a shift and become vanquished, yet our mind tricks us into purchasing such a poor investment. Right, purchasing yeah. such a poor investment. Yeah, it's like, it's like you know an investment's going to crash. Right. It's like, I'm in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's going to crash in two weeks. I'm all in. <laughs> That's kind of the atheist mindset. Yeah. They don't have any faith in a better investment. <clears throat> Anything you want to add, Chaitanya Leela, before we end? Okay. All right, Rataraj, Srimad Bhagavad Gita, Keith. Jai. Jai.